Welcome to Lingerie Lowdown, the podcast, your weekly opportunity to tune in and listen to the best review team online, taking time out to chat with you and each other about all topics in the world of lingerie, hosiery, and much more. Enjoy today's episode. Hello and welcome to Laundry Lowdown, the podcast. My name is Sophia Smith and today is a very special podcast indeed. We are recording this for breast cancer awareness. It's something that people feel very, very strongly about, particularly a few of our presenters. And I'm joined by one person in particular who has a story to share and that is Lucinda. Hello and thank you for having me. Oh my pleasure indeed, indeed. So you have had a very like busy few years haven't (laughs) you? You've had a lot going on. Yes um, you could say the uh, been through quite a bit in the last four years which is you know not something you expect to experience um, at the age I was so you know 32 you obviously everybody's aware of cancer mm-hmm. um, but you always think to yourself it's never going to happen to me and yeah you just it's just was a, a complete shock you know. Yeah so do you want to tell people kind of like how it came about how you discovered you know what the kind of like the start of the process of discovering that you did indeed have breast cancer? Yeah, so um, it was just one night, like any other, um, I was just in bed watching a film and I got an itch, um, sort of like under my armpit mm-hmm. and I was, I was itching it and I could feel this like little like lump mm-hmm. um, and I thought at the time, I thought, oh, you know, this is this is probably nothing. I checked the other side and because my left side was sort of quite fatty sort of anyway Mm -hmm. so I had a few you know a few lumpy things on that side Mm -hmm. so yeah at the time I wasn't really concerned at all and in fact it it wasn't until two weeks after that that um, I actually um, showed my mum who then you know said you've got to make an appointment with the doctor Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I phoned them and I, I literally had an appointment, you know, within the next day. So mm-hmm. so then you went to your GP and they obviously do kind of like a an assessment as such. They kind of they ask you to lie down. I mean, for me, when I went, they ask you to lie down on the bed. You put your arm over your head and tilt your head to the other side. Yes, that that's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so um, and I think it's really important at this point that people know when they're listening actually how to feel like you had an itch and you had like I think you told me it was like like a marble yeah 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 and so obviously that's somewhat pronounced yes but my experience was actually within the right breast and so I mean and so how you feel like in the breast is actually much more difficult that's right to yeah. Feel, yeah because it's much fleshier yeah. and so um I learned to feel by essentially kind of like um I don't really know how to describe it I'm kind of like I can see Lucinda right now and she can see what <laughs> I'm doing with my hand but I don't really know how to describe that it's kind of like um almost like creeping and teasing your fingertips very slowly around the area I think 
yeah I think that yeah that best describes it yeah it's really it's really quite difficult how to explain without like showing how to do it and so yeah obviously within the breast it's much harder to to find a lump so you went to the GP and they said you need to go to the breast clinic well it was a bit uh it was a bit embarrassing actually to begin with because she couldn't she couldn't find it so yeah so I was sort of sat there thinking oh no you know I've feel silly I've made an appointment and I'm wasting their time and Mm. and then like you said she told me to go on my side and put my arm like right up yeah and and then I actually um, literally got hold of her hand and put it where I'd felt it Mm -hmm. and then she after you know she was running her fingers round she then felt it but she sort of you know they feel it don't they and then they go back and they sit at their desk and they type in on their computer Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point she wasn't concerned at all yeah she said you know looking at your your age you know you're 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 fit you're healthy you don't smoke Mm -hmm. don't like drink that much she said it's very common for women to get lumps in the breast particularly you know during our period Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously it's a hormonal thing yeah and she said because it was um you know and it was so small at that point so I can see why you know it it would seem like it wasn't anything but thank goodness something made her just refer me Mm -hmm. to the breast clinic she said just to be on the safe side going to refer you and Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful that she did because you know otherwise I dread to think you know I probably I would have just gone home and you know forgotten about that so in terms of the lump itself now you've described it as kind of like like a small marble would you say that the edges of that lump were quite pronounced or Uh, would you say that they kind of like blended because when I remember feeling on mine and Mine was about the size of a two pound coin. So if anyone outside of the UK is listening to this, that's probably uh actually I know that it's more than 10 millimeters, basically. It was more than 10, mine was more than 10 mil wide. But the edges of mine were not particularly pronounced. Like it had like the, the, there was a definitive lump, but it kind of it was almost like it sloped away. Oh right, okay. No, I think mine was more, you know, you could really sort of roll it between your fingers, mm-hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and, and mine, it, it was quite hard. You know, it wasn't yeah. a soft, like, squidgy lump. It, it yeah. was quite, yeah, it was quite hard. Mine was also quite hard, but obviously given, like, where mine was underneath, like, the muscle. Yeah. It's naturally going to feel a bit fleshier anyway. Yeah, of course. So you got referred to the breast clinic and that's usually very quick. Yeah, um, actually it was within two weeks yeah. that I got an appointment. So I was really impressed with, you know, how quick rapid, it, it yeah. was. It's actually pretty rapid, to be honest. Yeah. And again, it was very, I remember it being a very long day. So I had to have a ultrasound mm-hmm. scan and again, the nurse that did it, she was very reassuring to me. She said, please don't worry. I see lumps like this every day. Um, it's not cancer. 
you know, you're young, fit, blah, blah, blah. There's no history in your family of having mm-hmm. cancer. And from, from the ultrasound, it looked like, an, you know, a normal sort of cyst that, that women get, you know, during yeah. that period. Mm-hmm. So then again, she said, I'm just going to get a biopsy mm-hmm. of the lump just to double, double check. So then I went into another room and then another lady. This this wasn't a very nice process, um, the biopsy. It's quite painful. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I was obviously really pleased that they'd decided to do that. On the biopsy, Lucinda, did they put the needle into the lump and then withdraw? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's painful. And it, it was a lot of – it took her a long time to sort of – find the lump because obviously it wasn't that big so she was quite a long time with the ultrasound going over and over and again she reassured me um, not to worry and she said that they would give me a phone call in a week's time so they asked me what time of day you know would it be best to ring me Um, so I said Friday afternoon Um, which Mm -hmm. was you know a week later Mm -hmm. so yeah you know at this point I was wasn't worried at all I wasn't thinking and panicking that you know I might have cancer I was because everyone was telling you probably is not (laughs) you know and then you kind of feel almost like silly you know for worrying because everybody's telling you you know oh you're going to be okay like don't be silly you're 32 you know you're not going to have cancer so yeah it it was a big shot. Yeah, I can I can imagine. So you got did you get the call on the Friday? So Friday morning, my mm-hmm. phone rings and it's yeah. the breast cancer nurse. Mm-hmm. So she was all very nice on the phone and she said, We really need to see you in the hospital. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't even know why I was still so chilled at this point. I actually told her that I couldn't come into the hospital that day because I had to go to work. Okay. <laughs> I suppose maybe if it's your first time you'd, and you don't know the process, you don't understand the process, at that point, if you're told you need to come in, perhaps she's just asking you to come in because that's how they do it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I remember I came downstairs and my mum was like, oh, who was that on the phone? So I said to her, oh, it's just a hospital. Um, You know, I explained. I said, but I told them I'm not going in because I'm working. So my mum, she just said, no. (laughs) She was like, no. Ring, yes. (laughs) Ring ring work. Tell them you can't come in. You know, explain you've got to go to hospital. And then she said, ring the nurse back and say, we'll come in, like, as soon as possible. Yeah. (laughs) Like now. So yeah, um, I phoned the nurse back and she told me where to go in the hospital Mm -hmm. and what time and everything. Yeah, off I went with my Mm mum. I'm sort of obviously I'm based in Bedfordshire. Mm -hmm. So the Luton and Dunstable Hospital is my Mm -hmm. closest hospital. Okay. So um that's where we went. And it wasn't until so you sort of you go in you go past reception and you go mm-hmm. up some stairs mm-hmm. so she was like take the first flight of stairs and then turn left but mm-hmm. of course you walk down this corridor and then there's a massive sign that says Macmillan cancer unit yeah and I think it was at that point that it hit me that and I thought you know I've got why cancer. do I need to be yeah, here? yeah. but I just I don't know I just knew at that point 
that I had you know that I had cancer obviously I didn't say anything to my mum I was very quiet in the waiting room you know we didn't really sort of talk much Mm -hmm. and you know you're sort of sat in a big waiting area and then you get called into these tiny little side rooms which I actually nicknamed (laughs) the room of doom I like it I mean obviously (laughs) I'm kind of far away but yeah just because (laughs) it's where you get taken to be given bad news basically yeah so yeah it, it was for me I think the hardest part was seeing my mum's reaction yeah um and she actually turned to the nurse and said it should be me not her and yeah that that you know that broke me because I just felt awful for her you know I didn't cry at that point I didn't break down I guess I just sort of thought right okay what's next you know how how do we make this go away and I needed to be strong for my mum because you know I I didn't want her to to be worrying and you know to be really upset because it's all also also you need her to be strong for you yeah exactly because it doesn't just affect you obviously it affects a much wider collection of people like of course you you suffer the most but it's your mum and indeed also the nurses and the doctors within the hospital like there's a lot of like clerical staff there's a lot of people who it actually does have an impact on yeah and apparently I was actually the talking point of the breast clinic because none of them thought that I would have cancer and it was a big shock um to all of those nurses so they you know they did feel sorry for me yeah uh, because they'd honestly believed that it wasn't that uh, yeah but you know it's just one of those things so with the lump being in your armpit often it's the case that when lumps are in the armpit they're actually in the lymphs so that was not the case for you no I was really lucky that it hadn't started to spread anywhere we'd caught caught it you know really early Um, so that was that was obviously in my favor yes Um, and then from so from the appointment at Macmillan where you're told this is the diagnosis yeah then what are the next steps following that like how quickly from that point like do they kind of like bring you in so originally they said that my cancer was it was very small it was in the early stages and all that they would need to do was a lumpectomy operation yeah so I was like oh okay that's good you know so they said within two weeks I'd be back in to have some surgery Mm -hmm. Um, at this point they said I wouldn't need chemotherapy probably a bit of radiotherapy you Mm -hmm. know after, after the operation you know I was felt really you know quite confident it would just be a a small operation yeah and yeah a bit of radiotherapy and then I'd be you know back to to normal Mm -hmm. so what they do is after you have your operation they obviously send away the the tumor to the lab Mm -hmm. and they then test it for um what type of breast cancer it is because there's so Mm -hmm. many different variety Mm -hmm. they see how fast it grows 
mm-hmm. um, and how quickly you know it spreads and then they sort of they grade it and everything like that so which brings me back to why I call the waiting room the room of doom okay um so after my yeah I'd had my first operation and then it wasn't very long before they called me back into the hospital just to sort of discuss it and I knew when I walked in that room I knew by the look on their faces that something was up um and they said you know we're really sorry but we haven't managed to take all of it out. It's a lot bigger than what we were expecting. And we're going to need to do more surgery. I'm confused how that happens because your ultrasound basically picks it up. So what happens is sometimes cancer cells cannot be seen by any, any sort of scan it's literally not until they operate and they actually look and get inside that they, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> so essentially, you can have zero symptoms. Yes, exactly. You, you know, and the it's, only way to know would be if they if they opened you up. That's you know, the this, only way. this is the terrifying thing about cancer: is most of the time people don't even know they have it until it's spread and it's too late because that's when you start getting, you know, symptoms. Um, And I always say to people now, you know, please go to the doctors. If you have a headache, you've had a headache for two weeks. It's not going. Yeah, that's not okay. Or, you know, backache, any aches and pains, um, especially like even your stomach, you know, stomach pains, bowel problems, yeah. you know please please go and get checked because you know it's it is not, it's, like, it's, it's not worth waiting no it's not and you know obviously breast cancer you know you can check your breasts every single day but it, it's scary how it can just almost like it's lying waiting in your body and it's waiting for a cell to latch onto. yeah and then once it's onto that cell it it starts growing and yeah it, it's frightening so they did one operation and removed part of the tumour. Yes. And then they told you they needed to do a second operation. Is that correct? That was right. And then at this point, she said, you're going to have to have um, chemotherapy. So, wow. that yeah, that I think was probably the hardest part for me. And, yeah, I, I found it. I was quite upset that day but just because you know it's in a way you sort of problem is you watch films and things and chemo is made out to be this terrible thing that makes you sick all the time and I mean I was quite lucky with the the chemotherapy that I had it just I mean it it knocked me for six but it didn't Mm -hmm. make me physically vomit so that you know I didn't get any sickness with it just got terrible um aches and pains um Mm -hmm. you know like if you've got really bad flu Mm -hmm. but yeah Yeah, if you have chemo like you are extremely susceptible to picking up every little like virus infection going I mean my um my best friend her mum has just finished um chemo and she's fine she's you know she's come out the good side but it like yeah. it really did the stuff that you see in movies is kind of what happened to her in terms of the chemo oh. so 
yeah it really is like it was quite you know it was horrendously traumatic um I mean she had bowel cancer and I don't really understand if the chemo kind of is like administered in a different way not I'm not sure of the particulars but um yeah it really it did knock her like she I think she lost half her body weight yeah yeah I lost a lot of weight too yeah yeah, and you're tiny already. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're tiny already. So you okay? So they did the second operation. Yes. So um, I had a second lumpectomy. This time it was it was quite sore because obviously they'd already gone in once through the How same. How soon after the first? Was it? Within, within two weeks again I was wow. so you're still yes. healing <laughs> yeah so um yeah it was quite sort of traumatic to then have to go back in and yeah I was very sore um and I think having two general anesthetics um so close wow. together as well was was a lot for my body and yeah unfortunately it was it was the same similar sort of situation although this time it was so all the actual cancer had been taken out, but it was okay. the the um, like pre-cancer cells, the margins they mm-hmm. call it. So when they remove your tumor, then they take the margins as well, just to make sure yeah. you know that they've got everything. So yes. then we had um, another discussion, and they said, "Well, we could do another lumpectomy, or you can have a mastectomy." Okay. Why would you need a second? Why would you need a third? So yeah, they just to remove the like the margins. Oh, sorry. Um, I I misunderstood. I meant that they took that on the second one. I misunderstood. Sorry. Yeah. So they weren't. You could see that my surgeon. You know, she she wasn't happy. You know, she wanted me to to have more sort of surgery and. I remember mm-hmm. talking talking to my mum and I said, I can't go through any more operations. I can't keep doing this, keep coming back and being told I need more surgery. You know, it's just not fair. Um, mm-hmm. So I said, just take the whole thing off. Just take it, you know, I'll have a mastectomy. Let's just get rid of this uh, once and for all. And then also to put my mind at ease as well. Uh, yeah, you know, knowing that the whole breast is gone, then I'm not thinking all the time. You know, oh, is is it? You know, what is it going to come back? exactly? And then they said that obviously the chemo would kill any stray cells um, mm-hmm. lurking around anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they were. I mean, they were still positive at this point. You know, for terms of getting rid of it, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a lot to to take in to go through. Yeah. yeah, especially when you're so young. I mean, obviously at 32, you're still an, a mature adult, but kind of like as we saw from the beginning of your story, everything points to you not having this. And it was like at every hurdle you had to go through, something still knocked you back even further. Yeah, and um, you know the great thing about obviously when being in the hospital is you get scanned for literally every part of your body you know so I had my liver my bones you know my my ovaries investigated mm-hmm. and they also they found something on my liver so that was a scary sort of month or two with that mm-hmm. um, yeah. but that that just turned out to be a, a, just a normal cyst Um, yes yeah so that was fine they also found a cyst on my ovary but again that was you know just normal 
to do with you know hormonal so yeah, yeah it's an awful lot because even though it hadn't spread to my lymph nodes you know mm-hmm. there's still still that worry in the back of your mind you know that it could mm-hmm. be growing somewhere else as well yeah um, okay so you are cancer free I am indeed and you have do you still as you've had the breast removed do you still have to have like a five-year checkup uh once a year I have a mammogram <laughs> scan <laughs> um yeah so yeah only mm-hmm. once a year um they they check once that. a year okay but that's yeah. not, you don't have to do it once a year forever though do you see I'm not sure obviously maybe I think when you reach the 10 year stage I think then then it goes yeah. to every five years yeah so yeah once once a year enjoying the conversations today well we wanted to take a short break to tell you more about our website are you looking to treat a loved one or yourself to some new lingerie or hosiery and don't know where to start let the most diverse team of presenters from across the globe introduce you to more than 400 brands as we publish new and exclusive reviews every day. In fact, we have over 4,000 reviews available online right now, and you can join us from only $7.99 a month. However, we want to treat you to something a little special for listening to our podcast today. Use the promo code PODCAST when buying a 3, 6 or 12-month membership, and we'll give you an extra 10% off the purchase price. Best of all, there's no time limit with this code, so you can keep using it when you renew your membership. Please note, this is not applicable to the monthly membership. So after listening to the rest of this podcast, head on over to lingerielowdown.com forward slash join and use the promo code podcast today. Thanks for listening. Now let's get back to the podcast. Okay, but then great news cancer free yeah but then earlier this year what happened (laughs) um yes um I was involved in a a not very nice car accident should we say like I've seen the aftermath of the vehicle and it is no more yeah no my poor little mini went to heaven but (laughs) but she you know she protected me the best she could but unfortunately, yes, my legs aren't in a aren't in too good a shape at the moment. So you were in a road traffic collision. That's right. And yes. it was someone crashed into you. I seem to think is that accurate? Yes. So he came round the bend completely out of control, and his car mm-hmm. was his car was sliding all over the road, like mm-hmm. you see, yeah, like you see on the Formula One. Okay. Um, oh God. Yes. <laughs> so it it's one of those where you just you know they're going to hit you. There's nothing you can mm-hmm. do, and you're just almost like time freezes, and you're just you know you're stationary. And, yeah. And then yeah, and just he, did he hit he hit driver side? Is that he did? Yeah. 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 Straight into the uh, the door where my legs were. So you took that you took the impact of another car coming into you. Yeah, on my legs basically. Yes. Wow. So you you went to hospital. 
I did. I um, went by ambulance. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I've literally only just, well, sort of, I'm on my second week now out of hospital. So how long ago, from the point of recording, how long ago was the accident? So what we're looking at six weeks ago. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. you were in hospital for four weeks. No, it was longer than that. Sorry. Um, I was in, no, I was in hospital for six weeks. Um, oh so yeah, but sorry, about seven weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So six weeks was a very, very, very long time to be in hospital for an RTA. It was, yes. <laughs> what were um, your injuries from the impact of the accident? So I broke both of my heels and my ankles. Okay. Um, and also the right foot was completely bent round to the left. So it was, wow. yeah, it was completely dislocated as well. And also I broke my left wrist. So, yeah. Wow. So now you are, you're at home. I am, yes. And I'm assuming you, too early, I suppose, to be going through kind of like um, any kind of treatment that gets you back on your feet, because I'm assuming you're still in casts. Yeah, still in casts. Um, but hopefully um, in the next couple of weeks, the left foot will be coming out of its cast and um, will be going into a boot and mm-hmm. I will start the physio. Um, I still can't put weight on it but I okay. can start to move it, move it around. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's going in the right direction anyway. Yeah. So, yeah wow. So you really have been through so much stuff. You were told this is not cancer, and then it's like this is a little cancer, and then they're like, actually, this is a bigger cancer. And yes. then they say, actually, it's better if we take everything. So then you've gone through that. And yeah, I suppose if you've been through that, you feel like you can go through anything. And then the collision, you were in hospital for six weeks. And it's a long, it's a long road to kind of like being back to where you were previously. Yeah, it probably, you know, we're probably looking at January um, next year before I can start walking again. So yeah, would that be, would that be aided or unaided? Do you think at that time? Um, well, I'm hoping by sort of beginning of December that I'm mm-hmm. hobbling, hobbling around, hopefully on either crutches or a frame, you know, or mm-hmm. something. So yeah, I'm really hoping that 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 will that will happen and things will keep you know moving in a positive direction. Yeah, because you are, I think, are you quite an active person because you have a horse, am I correct? Yes, so I share a horse and I've got dogs, so I love walking and I just started going to the gym sort of at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the year. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. I like to, I'm not keen on sitting around. I prefer to be, you know, outside. Yeah. Can you explain to people what it means to share? I mean, I know what it means to share a horse, but just so the people that are listening, can you explain what sharing a horse means? So basically I pay a little bit towards his keep and then I do jobs um, to help out and also I get to ride him uh, three days a week. So it works Mm -hmm. really well, especially if you're, you know, you're working and you can't sort of commit to a horse um, Mm -hmm. full time. And also they they are a lot of money. They're expen- it's an expensive pastime, isn't it? It is. So my my setup is is ideal, really. Yeah, because they have to. They need like a 
attention every day don't they like they I know some people who go I mean is morning and night for mucking that's out that's right I guess. yes yes <laughs> yeah yeah so, so that's it's a massive commitment isn't it it is yeah yeah so there that's that's how you share a horse you can that's how you share a horse yes that's how you share a horse (laughs) (laughs) but also you are a very very talented young woman I have seen some of your I think are you a patisserie chef yes that's right you are very very talented you're I mean I love cooking and baking but I am like I am naturally of course nowhere near your standard but your attention to detail and your lines on your work are flawless oh thank you no (laughs) they are I've seen (laughs) (laughs) I just I think if you do something that you're truly passionate about and that you enjoy Mm -hmm. and you love then it's always going to be you know I think you're going to be good at it because you love it so much Um, Mm -hmm. and for me it's about you know, making other people happy. I love to see people's faces when they're eating my food, you know, yeah. see their, especially like children, you know, you see their little eyes light up and mm-hmm. it melts your heart. You know, it's it's um, definitely um, a lovely job to be in. Have you worked in that industry since leaving school? Yes. So I left school and I went to college for three years um, mm-hmm. and did, did catering. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, just work my right way around various hotels and restaurants all over the country, really. And did um, you know quite early on that you wanted to work within sweet items or kind of was that something that you just kind of um, were drawn to like the further in um, you I went? Think, I think it's, um, I know a lot of chefs have a similar story, but it was my grandma. Mm-hmm. She used to make absolutely everything. And I remember being a tiny little tot and sitting on her work surface and making cakes with her and pies and bread and all sorts and just being like amazed you know of everything she did and yeah it was it was her that that made me want to to do it so the influence was there from very early on for you yeah that's right yeah so you went to catering college and I think or sorry or you went to college and did catering so it was um, Barnfield College in Luton, mm-hmm. which does all sorts of things, but it had a catering department. And at the time, it was had a very good reputation. I'd spoken to a lot of people and they'd said, you know, make sure you go to, to Barnfield. So, yeah, that's, that's where I, I went to after school. And, yeah, I was very lucky. Some amazing teachers. And especially because I did three years. So the first two years, it's more like savoury. Mm-hmm. And then the third year specialises just in patisserie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get sent on a work placement. So I went to this beautiful hotel called Grave Time Manor, which is in Sussex. Mm-hmm. So off I went and spent a month there. And yeah, just I knew then that this is 100% what I want to do I loved the buzz of the kitchen yeah you know working as a team feeling important and you know and it was such fun as Mm -hmm. well but yeah I just absolutely loved it Mm -hmm. so you must really kind of thrive and enjoy working in like a high pressure environment because kitchens are kitchens are a lot of work a lot more than 
I think people really understand. Um, yeah, definitely, um, especially for a female. You know, I think they're they're very hard environments um, to work in. You know, it's very stressful, and sometimes you know chefs get very stressed, mm. um, and they you know swear a lot. Um, yeah, and they can get quite angry. Um, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you make a mistake, obviously you can't help that. You know, we're all human mm-hmm. and can't help making mistakes sometimes. But I remember my college lecturer, he said to me, are you sure you want to be a chef? Um, because he said, you know, it is hard. And in fact, when I went for my work placement, all the chefs there said to me, don't be a chef. They said, do something else. Wow. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. Don't you find it interesting that we assume in the home that women should be the cook? I mean, it's a very old-fashioned view, but women should be the cook. But then in chefing, it's very male-dominated industry. It is. And you have to have very thick skin. And a lot of people said to me, because I'm quite a sensitive person and I'm very quiet, And, you know, they thought that it wouldn't be the right place for me. You know, someone with my personality um, wouldn't cope with with a kitchen because, you know, I take things to heart. And and yeah, so I think I guess it kind of depends where you sort of go and work, because London obviously is very tough, especially in the Michelin star kitchens and that wasn't really ever a a route that I wanted to sort of go down Mm -hmm. Um, you know I'd seen Gordon Ramsay (laughs) on the television and sort of gone oh my goodness you know he's scary and the hours that they work you know they work 18 hours a day yeah Um, yeah they don't get weekends off it's literally your life is the kitchen Mm-hmm. Um, and that is it you don't have time for family holidays you know you literally have to give yourself to the job yeah so yeah that that was something that I didn't really want to to do I still wanted to have a life as well so your work naturally you are at home recovering from your um, car accident but your work situation prior to that was what so, yeah, working in a beautiful place um, called Ashridge House, which is a business management college. So we do a lot of sort of corporate stuff there, mm-hmm. weddings, right. we do lots of training things there and events. So at that point, we weren't open to the public, really. So then, unfortunately, we had the whole sort of COVID which came in in March and sadly um, we had to close. Mm -hmm. So all the staff got put onto furlough. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people got made redundant. So that was, that was really hard time because, you know, you're sort of here at home on furlough and you're not sure if you're still going to have a job. So it was a very worrying time. And I absolutely love my job. I love all the people that I work with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're a family at Ashridge. Yeah, I was so happy that they kept me on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got told in, in August they were going to start doing sort of afternoon teas and opening up the house to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd just gone back to work uh, two days a week. So I was, yeah, I was so happy that things were back on track and 
and then um, I had my accident. Yeah. So a lot so, of businesses like food establishments within the UK really had to kind of branch out to stay afloat during the pandemic, which is obviously why they then decided to open to the public because meetings, business meetings and events are essentially banned currently. Yeah, that's probably right. probably will be for a considerable amount of time. I have a friend who had a um it was like an events management business but also kind of like a team building business as well and naturally no one is doing team building <laughs> because there is no team to build no. right now um so yeah it's going to be a long time before they're back up to what they were doing previously yeah. isn't it and so it's good that they actually you know saw an opportunity let's open the facility let's have members of the public coming in and so you went back for two days a week I did, yes. Um, and then obviously it was looking like it was picking up again, you know, when they sort of relaxed the uh, restrictions a bit. Mm-hmm. So October, you know, September and October were, were looking good um, to be working sort of more days. So I was, mm-hmm. you know, looking forward to that. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd go and have this accident. So had you obviously not had the um, collision, you'd be back there now working how often do you think you'd be working because you went back two days a week you said yeah so um obviously at the moment they're still not back full-time because now sadly covid cases are rising again mm-hmm. um and i've you know heard from my work colleagues that they're losing business again people are cancelling which is really unfortunate but they've got some fun things lined up for halloween and firework night Mm-hmm. so yeah and obviously Christmas I know is usually everybody's busiest time of year yeah um, and it's you know my favorite time of year I love making Christmas pastries and desserts you know making mm-hmm. fun things so yeah I'm quite sad that I'm missing out on that this year but perhaps you're not really <laughs> yes. missing out on too much no well yes <laughs> <laughs> kind of like sad ironic twist you're not missing out on too much really No, but yeah, I mean, hopefully this, you know, doesn't get any worse. And I hope that they are able to have people in, you know, over Christmas because it's such a beautiful building. Um, You know, it's magical inside. They have beautiful Christmas trees, you know, all the decorations. So, yeah, I really hope that COVID doesn't doesn't ruin it too much. Do you find that when you have a skill such as yours that people kind of like are always like nudging you for kind of like cakey favors <laughs> <laughs> yes um, that's exactly it it's sometimes it's annoying because people that don't really understand the cost of things you know it's huge, it's huge yes. isn't it <laughs> you know and obviously the time it takes and everything so sometimes it's a bit frustrating when somebody asks for a cake so you sort of work out as cheap, you know, as you possibly can. It's not like you're trying to rip them off. Mm-hmm. And they still turn around and they'll say, oh, but I can get a cake from Tesco for £10. Yeah, of course you can. But it's not like, um, <laughs> like you know, it's kind of like churned out mass production. That's why it's £10. <laughs> exactly. So that, you know, obviously my close friends, they, you know, they understand 
you know and appreciate the skill and everything but people that you know you don't really know it's um they never understand and they always want want it for you know next to nothing and it's really isn't it I mean my (laughs) we have a family tea room in the northwest and um kind of basically they have two bake days a week for the shop and so um Monday is a bake day and Wednesday night is bake day you know to kind of like get them through through the weekend obviously that's the busiest time and I obviously I understand the business and can apply business to any industry and so when I see you know in a tea room kind of like a slice of something is 225 250 three pounds depending on how many tiers or it has or whatever and some people are like whoa three pounds for a piece of cake and it's like it probably cost like in ingredients and time and the overhead <laughs> of the shop and like yeah. the skill going into it the cost alone is vast people no. have got no idea no not at all like patisserie in particular obviously is a is a much more refined art than kind of like the the tiered cakes because you I think you produce kind of more like single portions yeah so um we sort of mainly did a lot of buffet work so yeah it would be either sort of like individual sort of desserts or like big you know like gattos uh, and cheesecakes and things um Mm -hmm. but yeah when you break it down obviously yeah yeah to cost each portion but yeah people never never understand no and sadly I find that when you have a skill that does not have a kind of like set price as such kind of like happens for me within modeling and I I suppose like your skill it's like your time when your time has no like set price I think people just don't really understand that you should be paid for that as well yes exactly yeah it's frustrating I can imagine it's very frustrating for you because you're very very talented and it's kind of what's always put me off you know I sort of think oh I'd love to have a little cake business from home and I did actually during lockdown I was making um, a lot of cakes um, Mm -hmm. but sort of mainly for friends Mm -hmm. but when when other people you know you're trying to sort of branch out and you know the, the the negative comments you know about oh I'm not paying that and it just it puts you off you know because it's not going to be enjoyable for me knowing that somebody's like oh that's too much money you know and really what I was charging was I should have been charging more to be honest mm-hmm. but I thought you know I'd costed my ingredients and then I wasn't even charging for my time you know like you say they yeah. expect they expect um to not pay for your time mm. so yeah I just just found it really frustrating so yeah that's probably what's always held me back from you know having a, a cake business at home yeah it's it's a lot isn't it you know it's a it's a lot to deal with yes I think right now you've got enough going on <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah one thing at a time now if you would like to find out more about Lucinda she is on Instagram and she will give you her handle in just a second she's always very happy to answer questions about breast cancer and I'm sure probably about patisserie as well so Lucinda can you please tell us where you can be found on Instagram yep so my Instagram account is Lucinda Joy Thompson 
Mm-hmm. And I'm always happy to help. If you have any questions, you know, regarding anything to do with breast cancer, or you just want some advice, um, or yeah, if you want anything about patisserie, um, I share pretty much everything um, about my life on there. So yeah, get in touch. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to this special edition podcast at Laundry Lowdown for Breast Cancer Awareness. Thank you so much to Lucinda for sharing her story in such an intimate fashion. It's been really informative and I hope lots of people now know things they did not know previously. Thank you so much for having me. It really has meant a lot um, to be able to share my story with you all. And I hope that I have helped um, some of you out there. And just to remind you all how important it is to please check, check, check. Um, It takes two minutes every morning when you're in the shower. Please just have a feel. You know, we've all got lumps and bumps and most of the time it will be nothing and you'll be absolutely fine. But it's so important to get these things checked because, you know, the earlier it's found, the more chance you have. And, you know, look at me. Um, I've survived and I'm all healthy and back to normal now. So, yeah, thank you very much. Amazing. Thank you so much, Lucinda. And for everyone else, we are sending lots of love from Laundry Lowdown. Thanks for joining us on Lingerie Lowdown, the podcast. Don't forget that we release a brand new episode every Wednesday for you all to enjoy. So if you love lingerie as much as we do, make sure to catch us same time, same place next week. Don't forget to visit the website lingerielowdown.com forward slash join and use our promo code podcast to get an extra 10% off a three, six or 12 month membership today.